Thank you very much, Terry. Thank you very much, Terry. Is this coming through? No? Shall I shout? Oh, that sounds better, doesn't it? Thank you very much, uh, Terry. I am really looking forward to next weekend as well. I have invited my dad to come to the men's breakfast, and I have invited my son to come to the men's breakfast, and both have said yes. Um, Now, I don't take him out uh, very often, and so sometimes it can be a little bit full-on. So if you see me uh, next Saturday morning and you can come and just give me a little bit of help with my dad, I uh, (laughs) would uh, (laughs) really appreciate it. He used to be a member of this church. Many of you know him. I do love him. That's just a little bit of a joke to get us started. Uh, (laughs) Welcome to the uh, final episode in our series. And we are now in a dark time for the history of the people of Israel. They're in their promised land, but they've been oppressed by the enemies around them. Uh, These enemies called the Philistines. And last week, Terry read at the beginning from Judges 17 verse 6, and, uh, and he said, in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. And so that's really what it was like in the nation at that time. People just doing what they wanted. And it was an absolutely brutal time. It's a little bit like when we read accounts uh, from the Middle Ages in this country and it just seems really brutal. Well, it's a little bit like that when you read from this stage in the life of Israel. They were supposed to be enjoying the blessing of God in their promised land. But then the people kept on turning away from God and doing their own thing. And at that point, he removes their protect, his protection from them. And they start being oppressed from people around them, the, the different kingdoms, the different tribes around them. In this case, it is the Philistines. And then something happens and they cry out to God for mercy. And at that point, he raises up people called judges to lead over them. Famous ones include Deborah, Gideon, who we've heard about, and now we come to Samson. And one issue that we have with Samson is that it's very much uh, seen in some ways as a children's story because of his supernatural strength, and it's told in that context. But as we will see, and if you read it yourself, you'll find out in greater detail, it absolutely isn't a children's story And it's in no way some sort of fairy tale. We need to have a really grown-up look at it. Now, personally, I've always felt a sort of a sense of affinity with Samson because he did have superhuman strength and beautiful long hair. So, (laughs) what? (laughs) Should we move on? In uh, Judges 13 is where we first start to hear about the story. And from verse 1, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands for the Philistines for 40 years. You can almost hear the frustration in the pen of the writer. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Again, again they've turned away from him. And the consequence this time is 40 years of the Philistines. The people have the promises of God. They're now in the place that God has given them. But again, they've turned away and it all goes pear-shaped. From verse 2. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah. I've no idea 
if these are the correct pronunciations, but I'm assuming that you're not from those places, so you don't know what the correct ones are, so we'll be okay. From the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Note to self, always pay attention in a Bible story when an angel visits before the birth of a child especially when the mother up until that point is childless. Always pay attention because something important is going to happen. A Nazarite was someone who took a special vow of dedication. And you see more detail of that is in Numbers chapter 6 if you're interested. But what's interesting here is that Samson is being chosen for this before he's even been conceived. And the ground rules of the Nazarites were fairly straightforward. Don't touch anything made with grapes, any alcohol at all. Don't eat anything unclean. Don't cut your hair and don't go anywhere near dead bodies. Those were the basic rules. So she receives this message from the angel. She goes and tells her husband, he's like, what? Can you get your angel friend to come back to me and explain? We've seen that happen uh, again. And uh, the angel comes back, talks it through to him too. It's not long before she finds herself pregnant and Samson is born. And even uh, in those stages, we, we read that the Spirit of God starts to stir in him. So a miraculous start to his life, a miraculous promise over his life. That he's going to deliver the people from the Philistines. But the story of Samson, I'm not going to dress it up at all. It's a little bit strange. It's a little bit weird, and it's a little bit dark in places. The headlines are that he's an impulsive character, and so he marries a Philistine girl, and then through her, he ends up in all sorts of altercations with them. And he's empowered by God to be supernaturally strong, so he wins every fight that he gets in. That's not necessarily a good thing, although it is a good thing for him when he comes up against a lion. And because he keeps kicking off with the Philistines all the time, it's really agitating with them in the nation. He burns their crops, and the whole situation escalates, and eventually the Israelites say, hold on a minute, we're going to go and hand Samson over to the Philistines ourselves." They say to him, listen, we're ruled by the Philistines and you keep provoking them with this fighting and wrecking their stuff. So we're just going to give you to them so that you don't get us into any more trouble. This plan doesn't work, though, because when they get close to the Philistines, Samson is filled with this unimaginable power and he takes them all on. And the writer says that a thousand people die. At this point, I always wonder how that is squared with, as a Nazarite, he's not allowed to go near dead bodies, but that is a complete aside. This bloke is a total wrecking ball when it comes to military fighting. He has miraculous power and might, but he is an absolutely rubbish 
diplomat. This is not the guy that you send in on your behalf to a peace conference. But it doesn't matter because he's so strong, the Philistines are afraid of him. And so because of his great power, because they're afraid of him, he leads the nation of Israel for 20 years. And the Philistines back off because he is so powerful and they don't know how to contain him. And yet he does have weaknesses He is a bit impulsive. Remember, in his early life, he'd taken a Philistine wife because he wouldn't wait for a Jewish girl, although that marriage is no longer at the time we reach the next stage in chapter 16 of Judges, where he shows his weakness once more. Judges 16 from verse 1. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now, at first glance, this is a pretty cool story. They try to lock him in their city by locking the gates, and he is so strong, he rips the gates and the gateposts, the whole thing, the strongest part of their fortification. He rips it up, lifts it, and carries it to a nearby hill and dumps it. That is an amazing thing to do. But remember why he was in the city. There is a huge problem here. He's clearly shown them his weakness. It was his weakness right at the beginning when he impulsively took a wife from outside the faith community and it's his weakness now becoming apparent because he sees a prostitute and goes and visits her. And next up, we find that he falls in love again. And this time, it is to Delilah. Delilah, famous now for being the only Bible character that makes you think of Tom Jones. <laughs> and uh, I mention that just to, get, just to get the elephant in the room talked about, because you were all thinking it. So let's just get it out there now, and uh, we don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. It, I, I, I did, I did wonder whether I was going to be the, uh, the first person to talk about Tom Jones in a talk, but apparently it's not unusual. And, uh, and if you look at a list of his top three songs, you will understand why I'm stopping right there. And we will move on. There's a few people going to Google that later and find that funny. He's fallen, fallen in love with Delilah. He's fallen in love with Delilah. He's given his heart away again. He's given away and he's shown his weakness now publicly. So from verse 5, the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. His strength was contained because he'd never cut his hair. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So the enemy's seen his weakness and they go to her and they essentially try to bribe her for the secret. What is the secret of this man's power? Well, the secret is that he's dedicated to God and through the growth of his hair, God empowers him supernaturally. 
So she goes to him and says, what is the secret of your strength? And he tricks her and he, 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 he tells her that it's a couple of things, that it's not almost joking with her about it. And uh, eventually she really loses it with him. And this is where we come to in Judges 16 and verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and you haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. I thought you loved me. If you really loved me, you would. If you ever hear statements like that, it's time to press the big red button called the manipulation alarm. I thought you loved me. If you really loved me, you would. And sadly, Samson, impulsive Samson, Samson with a weakness for women, eventually gives in. Verse 17, so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. His secret is out there. When Delilah saw what he that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more, he's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. So he finally gives away his secret, the most precious promise of God over his life, and he's given it to someone untrustworthy. He's given it to somebody unreliable, and the impact is drastic. He gets betrayed, and as he falls asleep, they cut off his hair. From verse 20, then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. There's this horrible moment where he's lost his empowerment. He's lost the blessing of God, but he doesn't realize and he still tries to take them on. And all his confidence, all his hope, possibly his arrogance and bravado, it all comes crashing down and he ends up captured, blinded and in prison. This is an absolute disaster for him and a total disaster for the whole nation, the whole country. This is their supposed leader. This is arguably the strongest man in the history of humanity, stronger than anyone else who's ever lived, and he's given away the blessing that he was under, and he's now alone in prison. But that is not how the story ends. The Philistines throw a massive celebration, and they want to offer a big sacrifice to their God, so they all get together. And they bring out Samson for their entertainment at this huge gathering of their entire government at their temple to their God. From verse 25, when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. 
Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines from my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and on all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. This is an astonishing end to the story. In some ways, a tragic story ends in yet more tragedy. And yet somehow, there are whispers of redemption right the way through it. Just when the Philistines thought they'd won, just as they're preparing this feast, this sacrifice for their God, just as they brought everyone together to gloat in their victory over Samson and over Israel and ultimately over their God. Just at the moment, it looked like a catastrophic defeat. Samson calls out to God and God hears. It is never too late to call out to God. Samson's lost his strength. He's lost his position. He's walked outside of his calling And some of those things can't be changed by this stage. But the moment he turns back to God, God is ready, willing, and able to act. So God did use Samson to record a great victory over the Philistines, just like was promised before he was even born. So how does history remember Samson? Well, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, the writer is writing the heroes of the faith. And he talks about Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and others. And then Samson makes the same list alongside people like King David. It looked like for all the world that he'd failed. And yet he is named as a hero of the faith. God didn't lead, leave Samson alone and under judgment. There were consequences for him, very severe consequences, but there was redemption. And he ends up giving of himself to secure what became the biggest victory for the nation. He single-handedly wipes out the ruling elite of their fierce enemies and local rivals. The only reason he could wipe them all out in one go is because they'd gathered to celebrate his defeat. In the moment of absolute darkness, the entire thing was turned on its head. I put it to you that this is not a children's story at all. It's a brutal tragedy of sexual weakness, backstabbing, pride, And lots of people die in the process. If this was on TV, it should be on after 9 p.m. But what lessons can we learn today from the life of Samson? First up, we need to act on the signs that God is at work. We need to be on the lookout for God speaking to us and to others. We need to hold on to the promises over ourselves and others around us. 
But let's not take things for granted. Samson had a promise over his life that needed to be nurtured, it needed to be protected, it needed to be cared for, and it wasn't. And the outcome was really terrible for him. But secondly, God will do what he's promised. But my goodness, this story shows us that we can really get in his way. His promises will be contested. If we've heard from God to do a certain thing, it doesn't mean it'll happen with us in our way, no matter what we do. It means we've got to change and respond and seek God and fulfill it in his way. We need to act, but God will do what he's promised. We can miss out on part of our calling because of our own actions. Character flaws will eventually be exposed. This happened to Samson in the most catastrophic way. Don't let your gift take you where your character can't keep you, is often quoted. Samson really needed people alongside him who can help him. He needed wisdom from other people. Just because he was strong doesn't mean he had it all. Samson, don't marry the Philistine. Don't go to the prostitute. Don't tell Delilah your secret. But most of all, stop letting this gift and this power that you have go to your head and thinking that you can just act impulsively and without consequence. People seem to enjoy his gift the fact that he could keep the Philistines away, but without seeing the warning signs in his character. The character issues could have been dealt with at a very early stage, but they took root and they grew. And so they caused so much greater pain for both him and the whole community of faith. And what this shows us is that actually gift doesn't prove anything in that sense. Samson was hugely gifted with this supernatural strength, so they made him their leader. He was living with supernatural power. But that doesn't make everything he did right or everything he said right. If someone is gifted in a particular area, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have the whole wisdom, the whole counsel of God. I'll give an example. Many of the healing evangelists that we might see on the Christian media channels are very gifted in healing, but not very good on giving and money. Many are good at actually seeing miracles happen because of their gift, but not necessarily explaining from the Bible what's happened. So we need to honor people's gifts and release people's gifts. But just because people are really gifted doesn't mean they've got everything that they need. And let's not be blinded by someone's gift and ignore their character, especially if that person is us. If we're gifted by God, which you are, treat it with respect, hold it lightly, stay humble, and have people around you who can speak into you openly and honestly. Another question I think this leaves us with is, who do we give away our precious self to? What is damaging our first love 
to quote one of the prophetic pictures that was given earlier in our meeting. Who do we give away that precious inner part of us to? And obviously there's a lot of stuff uh, in here about the chemistry between men and women, about the flirtation, power, manipulation, there's that sort of stuff. And this, this intrigue between Samson and Delilah has genuinely intrigued people all over the world since it happened. The filmmakers, the authors, the songwriters for years, this sense of manipulation and control has fascinated people. Even the strongest men, even the strongest women can fall to temptation, to impulse and to manipulation. But it's not just about relationships. Who have we given that precious gift, that, that secret between us and God, that, that, that center of our relationship with God? Who have we given that to? Or rather, who have we allowed to have a louder voice in our life than God? In this generation, have we given parts of our precious self or have we crowded out that close part of our spiritual walk? Have we given it over to leisure or to material possessions or to people reading our social media or whatever it is? There is a precious relationship between us and God, but does anything cloud that in our life? Are we allowing others to influence or to shape our decision-making. It might not be Delilah whispering in your ear, but it could be the expectations of friends or family. It could be the workplace culture. It could be financial pressure that you're under. What are the things that are whispering in your ear causing you to move away from your first love with God? Are we in danger of giving it away like Samson did? Next up, a fairly bold statement. People who screw up are still counted amongst the heroes of the faith. Let's not throw people under the bus when they make mistakes. But for the grace of God, go all of us. Now, if people are in ministry, etc., there might be consequences for them. But what is our actual attitude towards them? Samson is counted amongst the heroes of the faith, celebrated for the way God used him powerfully. And then finally, people fail, but Jesus is coming. It's not long after this episode that the people of Israel start to cry out for a king of their own. And eventually that leads them to King David and then through the promises over David comes a promise of a future king ultimately fulfilled through the Lord Jesus. Samson being a disappointment is part of the nation realizing that they can't just rely on humans that they need God. And they thought that meant a godly king to rule over them, but ultimately it was only God himself, Jesus coming, who could be the ultimate king. And Samson does actually foreshadow this in some way. In his isolation and in his punishment, in his betrayal and then public torture, 
And ultimately, at the moment of their enemies thinking they had the greatest victory, he gave his life and he brought the whole temple crashing down. Their belief system crashing down, literally upon their own heads. There are whispers of redemption in this story of what Jesus himself would do on the cross. Not a flawed character put there by his own sinfulness, but a sinless saviour, betrayed, tortured, and choosing to die in order that the whole evil system of oppression that set itself up against the people of God would come crashing down. So Samson is a hero of the faith, but his story is hugely challenging. Two big lessons, I think, to take home. Don't wait until your last breath to call out to God for help. Do it now. Do it now. No matter what's happened, do it now. Call out to him. And don't wait until it catches you out to deal with any flaws in your character. Don't wait for that moment for someone else to realize what it is and use it against you. Do it now. Deal with it now. Get people to help you to deal with it now. But what we do see from Samson is that whatever the ups and downs of life, whatever you have done and whatever other people have done to you, God moved for Samson in the darkest moment of his existence. In the darkest moment of his life, that was when God moved the most powerfully. So no matter what is occurring or what does happen, it is never, ever, ever too late to see God move. And ultimately, as we see people struggle, as we see people make decisions which we can see are leading them into difficulty that we know will cause them problems, our attitude, but for the grace of God, go any of us. God can and will still use those people powerfully. Let's be very mindful that the story of Samson shows that God is sovereign and each and every one of us is totally and utterly and completely reliant on him. Thank you.